Hi, this is Erin Brown, and you're listening to the Dan Keo Wellness Project Podcast. guys welcome to episode 24 of the Dan Kiel Wellness Project podcast I am absolutely over the moon to have Aaron Brown from IamAaronBrown.com on my podcast this week I have been chasing Aaron down for a number of months now as she is so busy <laughs> and she actually just told me that she nearly got her email inbox down to zero which uh, is inspiring me to do the same this week so Aaron welcome to the Dan Kiel Wellness Project thank you for having me sorry I'm hard to tr- down. <laughs> that's okay I was I kind of let myself slip because I've got some stuff going on at the moment so um I'm just glad that we found an hour in 2016 to get this done me too <laughs> <laughs> so I have been following you for like not in a stalkery way actually in a I liked your Facebook page way for about two or three years now I think it's actually three years because it was around the time that I started linking in with Meg Brown from Weight Loss Rebels and Stephen Obar and our mutual friend the beautiful and wonderful Amber Mickelson and that was about three years ago and it was around that time that I found your page and I remember thinking to myself oh my god it was like serendipitous it was like how I felt when I actually found Meg Brown's page Fitbitch you know um, because mm-hmm. I, I was I was coming to a point in my life where I knew that things for me had to change, not just on a physical level, but actually on a on a, an emotional and mental level. So since then, I've been on that journey that culminated in me. Well, there is there is no culmination to the journey. That's a poor choice of words. But uh, it, it, it resulted in me this year starting this wellness project podcast. And it also resulted in me changing I suppose the focus of my whole journey from fat loss and weight loss to wellness, because I just felt that as I went on with things, you know, it's so much deeper than changing body composition. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Um, To me, I think of it as being the difference between pursuing an aesthetic and pursuing a life, (laughs) Yeah. which is um, such a, a, a better goal because the end result and the journey of it are so much more valuable and enjoyable than just chasing numbers. Absolutely. And I suppose one of the things that, you know, has defined my journey from initially fat loss and changing body composition on now onto wellness has been the fact that I've surrounded myself with strong and inspiring women, both online and in real life. Now, I was kind of surrounded by them anyway before I started, but what I've grown to realize is the huge impact that these women have had on my life and still have on my life. So the likes of yourself, Meg Brown, Amber Mickelson, all the other Weight Loss Rebels ambassadors, my sister, my mom, my colleagues in work, you know, I've just, I, I just know that I could not have done what I've done without their support and without their leadership and without their guidance. Um, are you surrounded also by amazingly strong women? Absolutely. In my family and then also the people that um, I choose to associate with in terms of my business, but then also tend to be friends. Um, but yeah, it's absolutely necessary, especially being in the really sort of awkward position 
awkward, not being the best word of being a, a public woman, a woman online and all of yeah. the um, harassment and just like BS that comes along with that. It's important to have um, people who keep me well and yeah. who lift me up and also people who share that experience around me. So I'm, I'm very fortunate with the people I have in my life. Including your beautiful daughter, Lola. She's, she seems to be growing into a strong woman with your guide, with your guidance and leadership. Oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> Just yesterday she went to, or two days ago, I guess she went to a little camp here. Um, that was like a meditation, like hippie no. school camp. And <laughs> she came back and said that she'd had a great time. She loved the yoga and, you know, she'd learned some mudras to help her with her stress level, but Beautiful. she wanted to tell me that she decided to eat lunch in a different place than all of the other kids. Mm. And it was different, but she'd heard the phrase dare to be different. And so she just decided that it was fine to be different because she needs her time alone and it's okay if nobody understands that. And I was like, oh, okay. Come on. <laughs> come on. She's eight. For crying out She's loud. Eight. <laughs> Is she free to do the podcast next week by any chance? I'm sure she would be great. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, she didn't lick it off the ground. So obviously everything that you've been engaged in in your own personal life is definitely rubbing off on her because that is remarkable for an eight-year-old. Yes, she's very self-aware. Mm, that's really nice. And I, I, I read your one of your most recent blogs and it really caught my um, my attention because I I can relate to what you were saying in it in in it in terms of coming into the winter well coming into the autumn and winter months and you know basically bracing myself for the darkness and the cold and you know hibernating basically and I've always always seen it as a negative very difficult thing particularly in terms of managing my own wellness and my own mental health and I just loved what you wrote about you know we aren't meant to be full steam ahead at all seasons. We hibernate in our own ways. And I also loved the idea of sitting in uncomfortable feelings. Mm -hmm. you know? Especially right now. It's, yeah, it's <laughs> If you wanted to just like experiment with sitting in uncomfortable feelings, now is a great time. <laughs> yeah, right? Seriously. It's unbelievable. Oh. And I've had years of it. And it wasn't... You see, I'm training to be a counselor and psychotherapist. So... Sitting in uncomfortable feelings is one of our prime tasks at the moment because it's mm -hmm. all about, you know, in order to be a good counsellor and psychotherapist or an effective one, certainly we need to be very in touch with what we are feeling. And for me, um, gaining that awareness through my own exercise and, and self-care regime is really impacting my ability to progress as a therapist in college you know so what would yeah. you say to people who are listening and I know there's a huge amount of interest in us recording this podcast by the way because I do not have one hour of one day where one of my friends doesn't share one of your posts so uh, no. what, what would you say to people who are listening from the Dankyo Wellness Project page who find it very difficult to just sit with that discomfort well, I mean, I think it's important to um, to say it depends about everything, especially when it comes to mental health stuff, because everybody's um, like personal prescription for handling this stuff is going to be different. Yeah. Uh, for myself, 
I find that any discomfort that I feel about what's happening around me, anything that triggers me to feel unsafe in my body is something that comes up for me a lot. Anytime that I feel uncomfortable, instead of pushing that away or down somewhere, Mm. I always see it as an opportunity for me to learn something new. So it's either Mm. something new about what other people experience or something new about um, how past trauma is presenting in my current life. But Mm. I'm always trying to be open and compassionate and curious about what's happening with me. Yes. Instead of being like, Oh, this is uncomfortable. I should just move away from it. Um, yeah. And so in the winter months for me, that's about being okay with slowing way down, Mm. being okay with not having a long (laughs) to do list every day, um, being okay with needing more sleep You know, and the idea, and this is the first time I've ever embraced it, is just seeing this as a time for incubating ideas and creating things slowly as opposed to hitting the ground running, which will happen as soon as it's warm out, um, as opposed to being fearful of it turning into something that I can't pull myself out of. I absolutely love that idea of incubation of ideas, mm -hmm. you know, and it is, you're absolutely right, It's, it's about how you frame the difficulty that you're feeling would you agree right. with that you know so the meaning that you attribute to difficult feelings so I would have had a lot a lot of years being a victim of my own moods and a victim of my my mental health difficulties because I didn't understand that I had the power to attribute different meaning to what I was experiencing mm-hmm. you know so I really love that idea of sitting with the discomfort and it's not easy isn't it not no, it's not easy, but it's where all I wish when I see people struggling around me, um, and that's a blanket statement that doesn't apply to everything, but when people are struggling with their own stuff, mm. I wish so often that I could impart to them, like just sit, sit in it, like don't act out of that mm. space, but sit in what it is that you're experiencing. Is this a pattern of your own behavior? Is this mm. uh, reflective of the kind of people that you regularly invite in your life? Like, what do you have power and control over? And maybe sit in the discomfort of that rather than always reacting to it, you know, yeah, because, but because only, tricky. Only through sitting in it can you get answers for yourself. Exactly. And that might, that mightn't take, or sorry, that mightn't happen after an hour or two hours. You might have to come back to the discomfort, you know, tomorrow or next week until you find out what it is that your body is trying to tell you. Exactly. You know, so I was really interested because I don't know if you know this. Well, you probably don't because this is the first time we've ever spoken, but I am a (laughs) social care worker with a homeless charity in Dublin and I provide support to families who are experiencing homelessness because we have a homeless crisis here in Ireland where there is no housing for anybody rents are sky high and there are well for in a country of four million people there are 1500 children who have no homes you know so at the moment it's worse than it's ever been and I was really interested to learn that you you studied social work I did tell me how you came how you went from or what was your interest in social work in the beginning and how you went from that to doing what you're doing now? Well, I decided I wanted to be a social worker when I was like 12 or 13. Mm. Um, and I had a really, um, interesting group of friends. A lot of them whose, uh, home lives were not, 
um, comfortable or healthy. And I was frustrated with um, the way those same friends were sort of disregarded by some of the teachers who really needed to not be teaching. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But rather than see these kids as people who needed, you know, extra support in the school environment, had already written them off as people who wouldn't be successful. Mm. Um, And so social justice has always been very important to me. Um, and that was, I don't know, I didn't even consider other career options. It was just like, obviously I'll be a social worker. Yeah. And then a variety of things, um, led me away from it. One being that I had a new baby at home and I was less able to, um, empathize with parents who had abused or neglected their children after having my own child. Right. You know, before it was more about, um, looking at family systems and understanding yeah. that when you turn over abuse, you see uh, abuse behind that and right. having my own child and, and still nursing her and trying to go back to work. The kids stopped looking like kids that needed help and they looked like, like babies whose mothers I was upset with, yeah, <laughs> which yeah. isn't a very helpful position to be in. Mm. The other thing is that I felt really limited by uh, the social work uh, limit uh, limitations. Gosh, the, the boundaries the that you have, yeah. have to uphold in mm. that scenario. When I was working with, I would say probably ninety percent of the young women that I worked with had a sexual abuse or assault history. Yeah. And so many times, what they just like, what I was craving to say to them is, "Me too." Yeah. You know, and I understand yeah. that there yeah. is a boundary between making it your own therapy session and saying that I understand something about what you're going through, but it was just in the settings I was working with, that was never allowed to be the case. And so the kids were left with really what felt like me kind of cold therapy sessions where it was just Mm -hmm. like, here are the coping strategies for this awful thing that I also share with you and we could have a real conversation about, but I'm not allowed to. Mm -hmm. So a combination of those two things made me step away. Um, and then becoming a trainer, which I'm not anymore was organic because I was participating in, in self care through fitness for the first time ever. Hmm. Um, but all of that just sort of fell to place as I was also trying to figure out how to support my family and be at home with a baby. Yeah. And that was an unbelievable explanation. I didn't expect that type of answer from you. Um, I I loved in your bio on your on your website actually that you you know it's kind of similar way that I approach my work with home with families who are experiencing homelessness, and I I try to keep my focus off of the policies and off of like I keep an eye on those things and the macro issues, you know how we solve this big issue, but in in my endeavors to have job satisfaction in something that I've been doing for over six years now, I keep my full focus in the moment with each client that I'm working with. And I find I get great job satisfaction out of that. Now I do obviously address the bigger issues in the team environment that I work in, but I, that's where I find my, um, my happiness in my work. And I was really, I really loved what you wrote about if you can, if you could have made one, intervention that stopped a young girl from doing something she shouldn't have then you saw that as success yes I love that yes and I think that's the thing that I lost sight of when I had my own daughter is that I was able to be in the moment with clients before Mm. and then it just became all about the macro issue the macro issues and how do I mother bear all of these children adequately within these systems and it felt impossible yeah 
So I moved from micro to macro basically. And I don't, um, have any of those limitations anymore. So I can me too all day, which is really helpful to me. That's awesome. I'm so jealous. (laughs) 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 Oh my God. I'm so jealous. I've seen people dismiss the the social work boundaries and have that go really poorly. I understand Mm. the reason that they exist, but I also am just not a person who can exist in systems without challenging them. So I just needed to create my own. And there's, there's another excellent piece of self-awareness that you've developed. (laughs) (laughs) This is like a therapy session. (laughs) God damn it. I wish I could just be a podcast host without letting all the other stuff come in. (laughs) exactly there's your system have you ever been called up by a hairy guy from dublin to do a podcast before as a matter of interest uh no no hairy guys from dublin (laughs) have you done many podcasts uh, yes, I've done a lot. And I'm actually, uh, this is new information, but I'm going to have my own podcast here pretty soon. Oh my God, that is amazing. I can't wait to listen to it. You're going to have like a, a billion subscribers within a couple of weeks. So <laughs> just so you're prepared for that. I'm, I'm, really I'm still sitting pretty it. at 27, but I'm, I'm working on it. Yeah. That's pretty good since April, right? <laughs> it's pretty awesome. <laughs> So tell, talk to me about your program as is and how the book came about and um, then we'll get on about Letters to Lola if that's okay with you. Of course. Um, as is was a book that I was asked to write. So I ah. had gone through my own process of figuring out how to get um, to a healthy place with how I felt about myself, primarily because I knew that whatever I was saying to myself would become my daughter's inner voice, not what I said to her, but what she observed me say to myself. Mm. And so I went through quite a process of figuring out how I came to these notions about myself, what the root issues were. I mean, it was like a long (laughs) ordeal. And then I started talking about these things online. And whenever I, you know, when you write a post online, it's not a dissertation. It's like, here's a nugget about Mm. something and people kept saying, but how do you get there? But how do you get there? And so as is, is 21 days, but that's needs air quotes around it because it's really just 21 uh, thinking errors that led me to believe that I was worthless because of the state of my body and asks Mm. you to consider each of those thinking errors for a day or for a time period alone and experiment Mm. with behaving differently around that thinking error. Okay. So that's, the book. And then uh, Amber Mickelson and I had done a, a program based on the book, which was fun. I don't know <laughs> if we're doing that again. That's still to be determined. Yeah. But people want more hand-holding around it. And she's an amazing coach. So she mm. was the one that I asked to do that. She is incredible. Yes. So she- that's that was as is. It's It's a workbook. There are journaling pages in it. But primarily, it's just looking at the construct of the beauty myth in tiny little moments, you know, the ways that it shows up in a daily life and how you can restructure that for yourself. And addressing core negative beliefs. Yes. Basically. I know I say basically, but it's one of the most impactful things that one can do. And I find actually in my own wellness process and, you know, talking to lots of people throughout my, the past few years that actually identifying the negative beliefs is the most challenging part. Yes. And I guess we're back to sitting with the discomfort then because who the hell wants to sit for any amount of time and realize that they do have that self-hatred or or that self-loathing and address where it comes from because it's extremely painful. 
but so is staying there. Because right. the thing yeah. is, what what we prefer to believe is much worse. What we prefer to believe is that it really is that there's something wrong with us, mm. and it's something tangible. It's something aesthetic. It's something in the mirror and in photographs that, mm. then we'll be happy and it will be fine. Yeah. And so we strive for that. And when that's not really the basis of what's actually wrong with how you feel about yourself, that just is an ongoing process of not being good enough forever. Yeah. Um, you can work really hard and change the size and shape of your body. But if your mindset says that there's something wrong with me and that's the motivation behind it, then you will find new things that are wrong with you at every turn. Um, so it is less comfortable to look at where that comes from yeah. and maybe what your mom said and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> things, yeah. you know, that are really sticky to sit and, and look at. But for me, taking it to a macro level, I either agree or disagree that I am an ornament, you know, that I am here mm. for decorating purposes only, or I don't. And that shows up yeah. in my everyday actions and behavior. It impacts every woman around me. It impacts my daughter. Yeah. And so I have to decide which side of that coin I'm going to stand on and right. then do the uncomfortable work to stand on the side of my own values. Absolutely. And just so uh, I'm clear on this, I absolutely agree that staying the same is way more uncomfortable. I was just making yeah. a note of that because it seems to be in talking to a lot of people in identifying those difficult beliefs is if that feels in that moment more difficult than staying the same, but overall it is way more difficult staying in the limiting beliefs. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, sitting back to sitting with uncomfortable feelings and, and you said you, you, you did the, uh, the program with Amber and you know, you, you've, you've run lots of, have you run lots of different programs through your page, Aaron Brown? Like is, is programming something you're still interested in? Are you going to be doing much public speaking? What What's your big work at the moment? Well, I have a new book that I'm working on through the winter, um, <laughs> which is a, a mouthful. I'm not even sure I can really describe at the moment. But um, the gist is outlining the old paradigm for women and mm. outlining a new, more empowering one. So yeah, okay. that, um, I do have quite a few speaking engagements set up for 2017, but I am in a holding pattern until then so that I can take a little bit of time off and acknowledge yeah. my need for winter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I really love that um, blog. I, I'm sorry to keep talking about it, but I just really love that blog cause it spoke a lot to me, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's, that's speaking and writing and then whatever else comes up the podcast is oh my gosh every time I think I just have a few things and someone asks what I have going on there's so much more um another thing that's coming but is in its infancy right now is um somewhat of a nationwide teach-in about racism oppression and effective community organizing that I'm working on with a doctor of social justice education fantastic Uh, would that have anything to do with the recent election it sure would. Because I, I really <laughs> wanted to get to at least 30 minutes, and we're at 20 minutes now. I wanted to get to at least 30 minutes without bringing <laughs> the E word into it. No, it's okay. I'm glad that this conversation is now and not a week ago, because yes. um, it's at least been a week to set in. It's, yeah. it's depressing. How's, how's it been for you? So depressing. I mean, in my little community, I woke up on Wednesday morning and I'd gone to sleep without getting the result. I just couldn't, Mm. I couldn't handle it anymore. And I had not done a very good job of caring for myself Mm. wisely that day. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, this podcast is all about being honest. So give it to me. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, my self-care for that day had involved a bottle of wine. So I went to bed early and woke up with terrible news and a hangover and went and sat with a couple of friends at a little diner here. And everyone was just coming in in tears mm. and looking for someone oh, to yeah. hug. Really? I mean, it, it really was, was really visceral like that on the street. Out, yeah. Out it, was, it was that visceral. Absolutely. I dropped my daughter off at school and everyone in the office was crying. I mean, it's it's a big deal. You know, and I think what's alarming, there's so many things that are alarming. What's alarming is that there's so much division, just even in the conversation we're having, you know, like to, I know Facebook isn't the best place to be having conversations about politics. And so I try to keep those in person um, as much as possible, just so that you're sitting with someone's humanity and not with their typing skills. Yeah, that's a very, very good point. I think that's an important (laughs) point for my, my wellness project listeners who definitely many of them have used Facebook as a way to express themselves around the election. But I've also seen people be targeted by other people, you know, like you said, who folk, people who focus on their typing instead of the humanity of the other people. And I definitely would encourage those people who are suffering at the moment to absolutely stay away from social media. And as you said, have eye contact with someone, feel their humanity. Yeah, because what's missing is that, you know, I I was a Hillary supporter, but a Hillary supporter with caveats, um, because there are areas in her history and even in her current policy plans or her now past policy plans (laughs) that I would like to see a lot of improvement on. But I was prepared to wake up on Wednesday morning, Mm. happy to have a female president, happy it was her and also hold her accountable to some higher ideals. Yeah. and do, you, do you feel that you will have the opportunity to, to do that with Trump? No. At all. So that's very disempowering. <laughs> it is disempowering. And what's concerning to me is, is, of course, there is a big divide in the country right now, but there seems to be uh, a lack of ability to have a conversation about the same thing. So throughout mm. the election, someone would say, you know, Trump said, grab her in the pussy. Like, let's talk about. <laughs> I still can't believe he got elected. He said that. Like, no, he said come that. on. So then the response to that would be like, well, Benghazi. And it's like, that's actually not a conversation. That is, that is two completely things. different things. Mm. That's the, it, it, <laughs> these are not even apples and oranges. These things exist in totally different conversations. Yeah. And so for around half the country, people are excited about, uh, politics outsider and that he's possibly representing people that don't feel represented and Mm. you know all of this like very specific rhetoric and then for the rest of us are concerned about what happens to women's right what 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 happens if he really is deporting people what happens with our relationships with the rest of the world if he is saying terrible things about um, races and religions. And I, it's, it's all, it's terrifying for people, but those two like ideologies have yet to have a conversation that even is the same conversation. You know, I've yet to see someone from the right address why, you know, an immigrant would be terrified to live in this country right now because they are just talking about something else altogether. And so I'm really hoping to see with Hillary not being a part of the conversation anymore, some better conversations about the president-elect because it's not about him versus Hillary anymore. It's about how he will lead this country and how that will 
will and will not serve everyone in it. It's, yeah. It is terrifying. Are you a believer yeah. in being the change that you want to see in the world? Yes, and it's a really. Do you really think that's too simplistic? That. <laughs> um, I don't think it's too simplistic. I do. I have been a little bit quiet on social media recently. I have other people writing pieces for my site just because mm. I feel very conscientious that this isn't my moment on the mic. Yeah. You know, that there are people who are feeling even further disenfranchised than I am right now that yeah. I want to elevate their voice instead of it being my own. And my concern with moving directly to um, being the change and mm. looking for love and these things that are really human truths that people want to jump to is that people often jump to those to uh, keep themselves from the discomfort of talking about racism, of talking yeah. about misogyny, you know, and it's like, mm. yes, but we just need to love each other. And it's like, pause. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is definitely too simplistic, that one. that one. Because in Trump's mind, loving each other is grabbing pussies. Right. Yeah, yeah, so what does that look like? And people are also calling for unity and saying that people who are afraid are, you know, somehow ripping this country apart. And it's like, well, if you're going to be unified, mm. then you look to who's hurting and ask what's going on. Are you <laughs> and okay? And listen to that voice. Yeah. Yeah, that's what unifies people, not saying, well, you lost, and so stop being a baby about it. That's that's not unifying. That is silencing the mm. voices that need to be most heard right now. So it's just a really uncomfortable time to be an American. Yeah, I would I would refer to it as shite. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, well, I don't also, mean to make light of it. And a lot of my buddies have, from the States have got on to me saying, dude, this isn't funny, this is serious. And what I say to them, back to them is, lads, I'm not making fun of anything. I'm just laughing because if I don't laugh, I'll cry. Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely. You know? My little sister is um, a freshman in high school. Right. And as a result of this rhetoric that's flying around the country right now was accosted about her ethnicity the other day what? and um, <laughs> was threatened that they would have her family deported, which is not a thing. They apparently thought she was Hispanic. She's Japanese, but she's okay. brown. Um, mm. And she's American, born here. I mean, there's nowhere to deport her to. But the fact that that is happening... Oh, this uh, is, sorry, this, this is her, her peers. Yes. Damn. Yeah. That is heartbreaking. And so that's that's the like real conversation that we yeah. need to be having across the aisle, so to speak, right now. Is mm. It's like, okay, so you don't believe this man is a terrible person. Fine. Let's talk about the fact that white supremacists feel really emboldened in this country right now. Mm. Can we have an honest conversation about that? Yeah. I just Even if I don't you don't have, yeah. that Donald Trump is the reason for that, fine. <laughs> he may not fine. be. He may not be the reason, but he definitely was the catalyst. Right. You know, like it was obviously there. It was just simmering. Well, and for a lot of people, it's not surprising at all. Yeah. You know, it's just illuminating for people who weren't directly affected by it. Yeah. Okay, Aaron, I'm putting an eight-minute cap on the political stuff. Because Perfect. we're here to talk about wellness. And I have an interesting question for you, right? Yeah? What? Say that again? I said, because we're here to talk about wellness, not racism. 
Oh, right. Those things don't go together. Ah, they do, yeah. They're, they're not mutually exclusive, am I right? Um, they're not. So, you, I would classify you, right, as a regular gal right now because I'm talking to you. But I would classify you as a pretty big deal in terms of your work on Facebook, which is how I know you through. And, you know, haven't chatted to Amber Mickelson about the work you've done together and everything she says about you. Um, I want to know how you deal with people saying that to you. And how do you deal with the amount of, uh, I think praise is not the right word, but the amount of followership and how much of an impact you have had on their lives? I try really hard not to take any of that personally, um, even the good stuff. Have you read well, the I book? Was just, I, was on, I was only referring to the good stuff. I didn't even know you got bad stuff. Tons of bad stuff. Um, oh, are, you, <laughs> are you familiar with the book, uh, The Four Agreements? Yes. Okay. So I remember I got that as a gift in college. And the part about that book that I struggled with the most and needed to just like set it aside and reconsider it again later was not taking anything personally, even good things that people said about you. And I was like, well, I mean, I love the idea of not taking insults personally, but if somebody, you know, is impacted positively by something I do, don't I get to hold on to that? Mm -hmm. But being a a sort of public figure for, it's been seven years now, Mm -hmm. um, has allowed me to see the real gift in not taking any of that personally. Because if I choose to attach something about my character and my Mm. value to you saying something lovely about me Mm. right now, then I also (laughs) will attach something to my character and value when someone tells me I'm a freaking idiot, which happens on a regular basis. Um, So so just to be clear here, I think you're lovely. So I've just said (laughs) that, right? So you just don't care about that. Well, it's as not in that I don't you don't attach you don't attach the compliment to your self worth. Is that correct? That's correct. And so what I choose to see about that instead is that it's lovely that you would call me lovely, and I'm also <laughs> really happy that there's like someone in the world like you who is feeling good enough about himself and his own contribution to the world that he is providing that love outward to other people. So I can feel good about that. And then on the other hand, when somebody says something terrible to me, which tends to happen when I have posts go viral or even yeah. just like, you get people trolling the post, but that can get really derogatory and even threatening pretty quickly, yeah. um, especially in posts about sexual assault. People like to be mm. uh, pretty gross. Yeah, <laughs> in minging. We, we would say minging and assholey. Yes. Um, and so then I think how sad that this is a person who um, has chosen to put that into the world. And then the in-between stuff, the stuff that's more just like criticism, I try to hold on to it and see if it's for me or if it's something that they're just projecting outward. But it's it's only manageable to me so long as I don't attach any of that to my person and where I derive value and worth um, and, and buoy my own self is more like in my family and in the context of people who are intimate to me you really like that word booing i do (laughs) (laughs) if you know listeners if if you um just go into google and type in b-u-o-y and e beside it aaron brown will come up (laughs) is that real (laughs) i hope so because i just said it oh (laughs) 
you know, I really love doing this podcast. I don't know if you can tell I'm having the time of my life here. But um, the one thing <laughs> I love about doing the podcast, and you'll probably have the same experience when you do yours, um, I always find something out that impacts me greatly from, or from what something a guest says, okay? And what yes. you just said there was very impactful to me in terms of not attributing either compliments or abuse to from sorry from others to your yeah. own self-worth and as part of my endeavors to become a counselor and psychotherapist I have to engage in weekly therapy myself and that's actually something that has come up a lot recently you know mm-hmm. and not necessarily the negative feedback because I don't tend to get a lot of that um, online or in my personal life thank god but it's about, you know, the amount of self-worth that I attribute to how many likes my Facebook posts get on my wellness project page or how many people listen to my my podcast, you know. So I think you have crystallized that for me there. And I think a lot of people would do well to take on board what you've just said about not taking anything personally, either positive or negative. I think it's a wonderful message. Well, and I would assert that I I think it's likely that you will receive more positive feedback when you let go of the need for it. Mm. See, now I can't wait for that positive feedback, which goes against everything we're just talking about. (laughs) Jesus, come on. I can't wait. It's lose-lose here, for God's sake. Well, and it sort of depends because (laughs) what you're talking about isn't, you know, this idea like, did I reach someone? Did something that I do land somewhere impactful? But how many, you know, and why this post more than the others, which I definitely have gotten into before, too. And it's always surprising to me, like something that will, you know, I just had a post get over two million views, which was amazing. And it's something that I wrote while walking on my phone, whereas (laughs) I'll spend like an hour, you know, really dissecting like the verbiage of a paragraph and it will get like 10 people. And so then I always think, well, those are the 10 people that I wrote that for. Mm. Great. That's amazing. Can you, do you mind sharing what the content of the post was? The one that went viral. Was it a recent one? Yeah, it was the one, it, how did I word it? If you think you don't know a woman who's been sexually assaulted, you just aren't a person oh, who's yeah. been entrusted with that story. Yeah. yeah. So two million views. Two million views. And um, it actually is helpful for that context too, because there were about 30 people that said um, really horrific things, mm. uh, but 30 out of 2 million isn't too bad. That's, I actually really like those odds. Yeah. And it, it kind of it reinforces my idea, and I may be one of the only people around um, to, to think that people are generally good, but just as you said earlier, the, the keyboard brings out the worst in some. It does. It does. And I think it illuminates some of the things about us that aren't good. You know, I think people are generally good. I also think mm-hmm. people are generally prejudiced and biased. Yeah. Judgmental. Um, huh? Judge, in, judgmental. In all kinds of terms. Yeah. I mean, you know, I... I have to work on my own misogyny in terms of the way that I look at myself, the way that I police my own voice, you know? Mm. And so if I'm still working on undoing harmful messages I've learned about myself, then certainly I'm still working on undoing harmful messages I've learned about others. Um, And so it just requires our own accountability towards interpersonal, you know, (laughs) relationships, but also, 
really being willing to be introspective as to where we're coming from, yeah. what's damaging and what's positive. You're definitely and so the you can first be generally one. good and still have some like really messed up ideas to get through. Of course, of course. And I mean, I, w I would talk more about, you know, the tendency towards good. I'm very aware of my own dark side, which I'm not going to, which I'm not going to discuss with you now <laughs> because I'm not paying you 40 euros an hour. Um, but, you know, I think that is really important that we are open to acknowledging, as we said earlier about sitting in uncomfortable feelings, a lot of those uncomfortable feelings can come out of our own negative image about ourselves, but also our dark side, you know, the things that yeah. we're, we're not happy about ourselves. But you're definitely the first woman who's ever said that she's had misogynistic feelings. I mean, this podcast piece <laughs> just gives, it's like a, a sound by central podcast. <laughs> well, that's just true. I mean, that's, you know, as is, is a, a workbook for anyone working through body image stuff, but it is also like undoing internalized misogyny 101. Yeah. You know, that's what all of that is. And um, is it okay for guys to do it? Yes, but I just think that the the framework that you all get is different. And I also think that there is something very profound about telling women to be small and men to be big mm. in terms of all of the ways that shows up in your life. You yeah, know, that's women never worked well for me. <laughs> right. I'm not gonna lie. Right. So um <laughs> Yes. I mean, I think absolutely body image impacts men and the work that I've done. Mm. I get emails from men all the time thanking me for my work, which is really awesome. I thought you were um, going to say something just, else there. <laughs> no, I just think that it, it presents differently mm. and those differences matter. And I also think that uh, maybe you're the guy, but I think that it would be really wonderful for, for a man to write a similar, you know, manual. Mm. It just, because the differences are substantial and matter. It is something that I've, definitely considered and you know I'm, I, I feel very much in the genesis of my own process in that regards but um something I would love to talk to you about in the future if you if you would be only too kind to give me a bit of guidance on that because there definitely is a gap in the market for that type of workbook for that type of program for us guys who don't like to say that we're struggling right well and it's one of the ways that I am regularly criticized and I'm like well one, I'm not going to be I'm not going to be less specific about my own experience so that I can seem more inclusive. I would rather include more voices than try to um, water down my own. Yeah. And I think that it is more powerful for people to be able to look at their own journeys when somebody's being really authentic about theirs. Sure. But also, I know fuck all about being a dude. Yeah. You know? So I'm not going to like read some research on that and then start writing about it. I would much rather hear from men about that. Yeah, but um, plus you, you can't know, do everything, for God's sake. No, leave, no. leave something for the rest of us, for Christ's sake. Do you know Hunter Fitness? Do you follow him? I don't. You should. He um, he is a beautiful girlfriend, and they do this like impossible acro yoga Instagram page. <laughs> but he also he's Hunter Fitness on Instagram is the primary place to find him, and he is a man who has talked openly about body image struggles. Okay, um, great. I, I, I will definitely enjoyed. look him up and connect with him for sure. Yeah, I like him. He's good, is he? He's my friend. I visit him when I go to LA. Oh, that's nice. Mm-hmm. So just before we finish, I want to have an, another, a little chat to you about your beautiful daughter, Lola, and how Letters to Lola came about. Because I get the sense that she, that was a major turning point in your life, having her. Well, I started it pregnant with her and finished it 
as quickly as possible last year because mm. I realized I was getting closer and closer to her approaching puberty. Mm. And I was cognizant that I wanted to have this book written before we got there for a lot of reasons. Yeah. So um, it's a collection of essays about growing up female and some of my history, but also sort of a declaration of like some of my baggage coming mm. into being yeah. her mother. Um, yeah. And so I, I was aware that for me, 13 was a really traumatic age. Mm. And I think that around that puberty time for most people is just a, a confusing time. Yeah. Uh, but for me, it was very traumatic. And I didn't feel like there was anybody that I could reach out to. And I remember specifically really like aching for my mother's words and also was just unable to speak with her about difficult things. Mm. Um, and unable to receive her advice. I mean, I remember her telling me things and I was just like craving what she would say about things and then also immediately disregarding it because she couldn't possibly understand me. Yeah. And so I wanted to put together a collection of essays for my daughter for that time in her life so that if she was ever looking for my advice or my words or my experience and unable to come to me or didn't want to come to me, that those would be available to her. And also to have written those things before we got there, so to speak, so yeah. that what I had to say about relationships is not, you know, she can't be like, well, you just don't like so-and-so because yeah. uh, I wrote it before so-and-so existed. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, it's a total ghetto clause. Yes. See, that's self-care of the highest order now. You're, you, that's, me that's meta self-care. <laughs> yes. Damn. So that was sort of the plan with it. She has, um, she has her own copy now. And she knows all of the content and sort of child size nuggets. Mm. And she's decided herself that she wants to wait until she's in the two digits, until she's 10 or older to read it. But she has it. But that um, was her decision. Yes. Oh, she says she's sake, not. She, look, I can't deal with this eight-year-old. I know. <laughs> How do you deal with it? I know. She's too smart for her own good. Oh, God. She gives you a sick note for work. You know, that's that's what that the, the roles are reversed. You know, she's like so streets ahead, I'm sure, of her friends, is she? She is. She she coaches them on all kinds of things. Like um, if boundaries is something she loves to coach people on. And she works with particularly her friends who are girl identified with like using their their big voice to tell people that they're in her space, you know, wow. and back off with like your big voice. Yeah. She's, she's a force. Wow, she is a force. I haven't even met her, and I can feel it from this conversation. You know, that's absolutely <laughs> wonderful. It's absolutely incredible. It is. So I don't, I don't know what she's got coming, but I do feel like anything that I'm doing with my life is just really to set her up for wherever she's headed. Yeah, yeah. Like a lot of parents feel that way, don't they, about their kids? Mm -hmm. I'm not speaking from a position of having children. I am a single young single Irish guy with no kids so I uh, I can't speak with authority on that but I can talk about my sister who's had two kids in the last three years and certainly her her focus has shifted from you know what she was like before just married to everything about the boys now you know they're amazing yeah they're incredible what was it like for you the the transition from non-mother to mother I made myself accountable for the first time, you know, and part of that was the body image stuff. But once you 
uncover some like dark part of your psyche, then you find there's like 12 more floors plus that you can't see yet. Right. Yeah. yeah as, you, as you said in your blog, I am walking. It's very ominous now listeners. So I've just got to put my ominous voice on. I am walking inward knowing that the underbelly is where deeper understanding is. I got yeah. a shudder when I saw that. I was like, God damn. <laughs> I was just, I was disappointed. There was no boy in there though. As in buoy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So 12, yep. you had 12 floors to go. That's a long way. And you're probably still well, another please. 12 now. Yeah. So for me, the body image stuff was just like where I threw everything. Mm. You know, if someone broke up with me, if I lost a job, if mm. I wasn't doing well at school, it was like anything that I wasn't doing well or wasn't turning out well for me I just threw at my self-image that way and so right. I was like it's because you're fat and if you just fix that then everything else will be good and once I stopped talking to myself that way I also had to become accountable for my own actions you right. know like maybe you weren't doing well at work because you weren't showing up mm. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. that's know? definitely going to get in the way yeah <laughs> So, so I became accountable not only for the way that I talk to myself, but mm. um, for my past failures. I mean, I just really had to look at everything in my life and say, okay, so this is this is all you. Mm. You did all of this. Um, you've experienced all of these things, some of them through no fault of your own, but you're here now. And there's a little person who is going to look to you to know what it is to be a woman. And wow, you have a lot of work to do. Yeah. So that was that was a really huge transition for me. And just in terms of being accountable for everything about my life, because I knew that all of that would be reflected back at me in this little child who I wanted to be a lot better for than I had been to date. That is absolutely amazing. And not a lot of people have, you know, go through that when they do have kids, you know, it could be you have kids and then you realize you got to do it, you know, eventually or, but you managed to, to nail that transition down when you were having her. Yeah, I was completely freaked out when I found out I was pregnant because <laughs> my first thought was that there's there's no more hiding from yourself, yeah. you know, and people see their kids act act out a particular way and like, where did that come from? And most of the time, sometimes not, most of the time you can look <laughs> at the parent and you're like, really? Like, you really don't have any idea how this person started acting like that? <laughs> so, you know, I just I just needed to be a version of myself who was accountable for her life and who I would want, you know, my own baby to look up to. And that meant a lot of work. It's still a lot of work. Yeah. Cause a lot, I know that a lot of people reach out to me, certainly on my page, the Dunkill wellness project, and they, and they probably reach out to you as well and ask you, how do they stop the negative language about themselves? Like mm -hmm. it's what it's a, it's very good saying that I stopped talking about myself in that way to myself, but it's the how that people find quite challenging. And what I say to people is you have to actually do it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I can't give you a list of, you know, of to do one to 10 and then you'll stop talking negative about yourself. It has to be something that you start to practice every day. For some people it involves journaling. For some people it involves meditation. For me, it was meditation, you know, and I'm still, I'm still, as I said earlier in the genesis of it for myself, because I'm only in the second year of my training and the second year of addressing my own negative uh, language patterns. Um, but the one thing I always say to people is you have to do it. It has to be a daily practice. Yeah. No, you can't yeah, just and for me that was happen. accountability too, and that 
I had all of these places to point to, you know, the, the way that the media portrays women and mm. fashion magazines and my ex-boyfriend and my mom and, mm. you know, all of these places that I could place blame. But the person who was saying these awful things to me on repeat all day, every day was me. Yeah. And so when their voices became my voice, that became my problem. And yeah. a problem I could address, but you have to be accountable for it in order to address it. And also you is, have to have the awareness that you're doing it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought that I was just having a natural reaction to being me. Yeah. And then when looking at that through the gaze of this is what my baby will have to look up to, I was like, yeah, this doesn't work anymore. Yeah. I have to, I have to consciously change the way that I talk about myself. And I find that particularly for mothers, that that can be a really powerful motivator to change that voice, because that's another thing that is just, to me, sadly inevitable, that mm. if you are, even if you think you're being careful about not saying or doing certain things in front of your child, they will yeah. emulate every piece of your behavior. Yeah. You know? And well, so when, whenever somebody says to me, you know, my daughter is four and she's really concerned about her tummy and I know that's something mm. that I worry about but she can't have heard me say it mm. I, I know exactly where that came from right you know right and that's that's very difficult for somebody to hear mm -hmm. you know and you know and uh, I'm as you know I'm, I'm training to be a counselor and through my social care studies seven percent of communication is verbal seven mm -hmm. percent mm -hmm. so there's the 93 percent that you've just referred to that people are exhibiting all the time to their partners, their spouses, their kids, their family, their friends, you know, nothing around the stuff you actually say is it's, I'm not talking about stuff we actually say out verbally. It, it, it involves a shift in how you think about yourself, how you, the words that you use in your own <coughs> mind, because as you said, you said it was like a, you thought it was a natural reaction to things. <laughs> You know, yeah. but until you actually addressed it, that wasn't the case. Well, and the thing that I often um, will ask people to do or consider doing, because it is really challenging to move from a mantra of I'm disgusting and not worthy of good things to I'm amazing and beautiful and mm. whatever, um, is just to try and shift that space to something really neutral. Because if you don't believe what you're saying, then it's really hard to <laughs> to buy in. So my most powerful mantra that I started out with was just like, this is what you look like on Tuesday. This is what you look like on Wednesday. It's not amazingly powerful and positive, but it sure is a really big shift away from something negative. So if that. you can just get neutral, that's a really good place to then be able to shift to positive. But that to me is the baby step out. Yeah. So it, it can be as simple as that. Yeah. This is what I look like on Tuesday. This is what I look like on Wednesday. Yeah, I said that to myself all the time, which was helpful because I was saying such terrible stuff to myself that that was, that was the shift, you know, that allowed me to look at my body in a neutral way if I wasn't able to look at it positively yet. Yeah, yeah. Another one that my sister recommends, she's also a writer, um, is instead of saying should to always change that to could, you know. Oh, yeah, so we're, we're shooting all over ourselves. It's terrible. Yeah, so could. Could makes it a choice. Yeah. And not a terrible thing. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I could not. This is what I look like on Tuesday. I could feel bad about that. Yeah. Or I could feel good. Okay. And eradicate should <laughs> from your library from your language library, if that's a thing. Your dictionary. What's what's the word I'm trying to think of? I don't vernacular. 
vocabulary. Yes. Yeah, sorry, I'm Monday I'm Monday eveninging all over myself here with not being able to think of that word. It's really terrible. So listen, Aaron, I just have one more question for you. I could talk to you for the next seven hours, but it wouldn't make a very good podcast. I think people would tune out <laughs> or at least go to sleep because people need that. But what does wellness mean to you? Well, I sort of said it at the beginning, but to me, wellness is the constant pursuit of a beautiful life. Mm. Um, and I always choose the word beautiful because darkness is beautiful. You know, beautiful doesn't yeah. have to mean always light and always happy. Sometimes mm. the most beautiful parts of life are the ones that pull us out of ourselves in really jarring ways. Right. And so in my pursuit of wellness, I'm just looking for having a really beautiful and full life. Yeah. And so that means taking good care of myself. It also means sometimes whiskey. It means <laughs> yeah. lifting and naps. It means, you know, egregious amounts of time just listening yeah. to what my daughter has to say about the world. Yeah. All kinds of things. And I yeah. think that turns up for everybody in a different way. But pursuing my life. Yeah. I think the most important thing about what you said there, and it was all absolutely spot on, is that there is an action involved. There is a pursuit here. Don't yes. stay stuck. Set your intention to doing the whiskey, to doing the time with your children, you know, to identifying what your triggers are, as you said earlier, to identifying what it is that you love in life. It's not mm -hmm. just going to happen by accident. It has to be a daily action. And that's what I'm, that's my message that I preach on my page quite a lot, you know? Yeah. I love the, the soundbite, switch your intention to doing the whiskey. <laughs> That's, that's a meme. You gotta, you gotta make that into a thing. Oh, yeah, I've only got four more days before I'm doing the whiskey. I can't wait. Perfect. I'd love to do a whiskey with you sometime. I just had one yesterday. Oh, fantastic. Well, listen, we'll, we'll have another Skype conversation where we can clink our whiskeys at our uh, computer screens. How about that during the winter? Perfect. Great. So listen. I drink any time after 11.30 a.m. in winter. Oh, that's Not fab. every day. That's fab. <laughs> I love that you have. I love that you have a lower um, time frame. You know, eleven thirty a.m. Well, I will have done all of my housework and worked out by then, so yeah. that's like when my afternoon starts. <laughs> so what is it? about like Apple once teenies? every two weeks that involves day drinking. <laughs> you know, Meg, Meg Brown said the exact same thing to me, and I love you both for giving me the permission. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, Erin, you've been an absolute darling. Thank you so much for your time. Um, again, I feel like I could talk to you for a million hours, um, but uh, you have day drinking to do, and I have to go to bed. <laughs> well, anytime. I'm happy to do it again. Fantastic, and I look forward to talking to you again. Thanks, Erin. Thank you. Take care. Bye.